Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing. Starring the original book divas, Martha Steele, Vonnie Golden, and special guest, Alyssa Mann, the queen of romance. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination, one book at a time, they are three book girls. I totally look forward to the day where we can just strap on the old exoskeleton when we're feeling a little achy, and then... It will do the work, and then there will... Think about the utopia. Of an exoskeleton? Yes. Well, have you seen that they have um, the robotic tails? I think China or Japan yes. or somewhere I over there. I saw an article about that the other day. That they um, designed it like off of a kangaroo's tail. That sounds very heavy. Is it I need... useful? Does it have a thumb or, you know, or does it just swing around? Well, it's like supposed to help you like with balance and stuff. Uh, yeah, so that, so, so that if you have balance issues, your tail moves in order to maintain your balance. You know what I need? Oh. You remember the bad guy from uh, Spider-Man, uh, Dr. Octo <laughs> Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Yeah, that yes. had like all of the legs that came down and like walked for him and stuff. I need one of those. That's the only Spider-Man movie I like. Oh. Think about, <laughs> like think about the terror <laughs> that you can <clears throat> unleash upon the world if you showed up for work in one of those. People would leave me alone, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my God, here she comes! But would you be paid four times as much because you had eight <gasps> appendages with which door? Oh my God. I know, imagine how much work you could get done. I'm telling you. If that doesn't, if that doesn't put me in the consideration for a raise, I don't know what does. And you know what? I think you just gave me a new idea for a novel. Oh, good. Which would be appropriate since you're a writer. And gig. Mariana Evans is with us. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Ah, don't you just love it when we talk about sci-fi first thing in the morning? Just get you going. I know. I you know, know even, that you're a sci-fi fan, even though you don't I write am. sci-fi. And I even though I don't stories. read sci-fi, I like sci-fi read, movies. Well, actually, I'm in currently writing a sci-fi story. I've been asked to write for a anthology called The Faking of the President. It's an alternative history. We're all supposed to pick a president and make, muck around with the history, and I'm doing Woodrow Wilson. Really? Yes, hmm. the wife that takes over after his stroke is not who we think <gasps> she is. It's like a Doctor Who episode. That's exactly what I was thinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I'll get to write for Doctor Who next. Thinking of a specific <laughs> episode? <laughs> when you write for Doctor Who, can we come be in your entourage? You can. <laughs> we need to be in the crowd somewhere. <laughs> Too bad Christopher Eccleston is not with Doctor Who anymore. Or David Tennant. Or David Tennant. Oh. Who was yeah. the one after Matt? Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. I liked him, too. I know that you weren't a huge Matt he Smith. He just has a big square face. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He's just... I liked his big square face. He makes an awesome thought... Prince Philip. Yeah. 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 That's true. He was adorable in his own dorky way. Yes. And I love dorky guys, so I think I could probably give him a pass on the square face since he didn't get to pick it. It's not his <laughs> fault. That's what his face looks like. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the ways I would describe uh, the country singer, his name. I can never remember his name, so that's why I always call him the square face man. The one that was married to Julia Roberts? No, no, no. Well, I love him. That's why I love no, it. He's I love got him. a I love whole it. separate face. <laughs> he, has, he has a face that doesn't match. His face is yourself. very long. He has an asymmetrical face. That's what it, Yes. No, what's the dude's name? You're in the wrong room for I asking know, this question. Music, I, unless they're like an old country music person. Like is Garth it Brooks? Toby no. Keith? No. 
it's none of those. It's not an Oklahoma person. Texas, I want to say. Is it like a newer or older? No. no, Kenny Chesney. No. Older. Not that old, But still living? I'm out. George Strait? Yes, he's still living, but he's having issues. Willie Nelson. Randy Travis? Randy Travis. Randy Travis is having issues? I didn't know that. He's had issues for a while. I like Randy Travis. I do, too. He had a stroke, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I think it might be alcoholism. Oh, Okay. It may be a stroke too. It might be a stroke too. Yeah, yeah. that's I'm sad. Look it up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. But this was way before he was having issues <laughs> that I really couldn't stand his music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Randy. <laughs> See, his music is—I like his voice. I don't He's got like that his voice. Deep. I know it's a little nasally. That's what people tell me, but I like his. I don't know. I always like his voice. He's the best version of Jingle Ball Rock there is. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure God, I've heard I can't it. believe we digressed to this. It was my fault, too. <clears throat> I mean, Matt I, Smith fits that pattern of the square face. But we could do an alternate history with country singers. Where their music didn't suck? Yes. That would be interesting. It would require us to go back to 1965. And get rid of the steel guitar? Oh, I like steel guitars. I don't. <laughs> they sound like cats mating to me. <laughs> Yeah, Vince on the player. I have issues. <laughs> now I've pissed off half the population. <laughs> We're in Oklahoma and you're distant country music. I grew up in Wyoming, Cowboy Central. I grew up in New York. I grew up in Mississippi. I grew up everywhere. Count yourself lucky that you didn't have to go to the rodeo constantly. I did not. The rodeo was not, I was not a fan. I did go to the rodeo. And you know what the best rodeo was, I think, was the one that they have at the prison in McAllister. I think that was the best rodeo. I liked that one. It was okay that I was locked in with the prisoners. It was a good rodeo. <laughs> there, there's a whole other set of shit going on there with that. I like that prison rodeo. Once again, I think we have found a plot. <laughs> I'm seeing plots everywhere today. That could be the alternate universe of the country singers at the prison rodeo there you go it's like the Folsom prison blues only with bulls exactly (laughs) (laughs) and if you put robotic bulls in there then you got a sci-fi twist there you go just think if you were in that prison rodeo and you had those ecto legs just lifting you (laughs) up on top of those bulls it's, oh my god! Instead of eight seconds, it would be eight legs. <laughs> We're gonna all that shit right <laughs> Got a big old bow on it. Just saying, these are the things that come to my mind sometimes. <laughs> oh, before I forget, we have to talk about our virtual world tour again. Okay. We have a new person that we're going to be contacting this week for our next version of the world tour, which will be our next episode. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, you still have time to do it. You can go over to our website, threebookgirls.com and fill out the form. And that way we can have a virtual tour of your city and the books you love and whatnot. I want to say our next one is the... The lady from Germany. Cool. Either Germany or California. I can't remember which Those are one it very is. Very different places. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember the order. I haven't Those looked at it in a couple opposites. of weeks. <laughs> it's either one way this way or way that way. Filling out an application is really easy. All you have to do is give us your name, some contact information, and a quick clip of 
a book you review. Talking about a book. And it doesn't have to be the book that you plan to review on the podcast. It just no. gives us your voice. Gives us an idea. So that we have an idea of how you're going to react to the weirdness that is Three Book Girls. <laughs> when we get to <laughs> mm-hmm. actually on the phone, you're going to be able to handle us. The weirdness of the eight-legged bullfighter. <laughs> Golly, I cannot wait for this. With alternate country music lacking a steel guitar. Mm-hmm. It could happen. It's just getting fuller by the minute. Maybe we should trademark it. There you go. What are we replacing the steel guitar with? Um, a bagpipe. The theremin? The theremin. <laughs> that would be a weird replacement. Dude, a steel, steel guitar sounds like cat's Speaking mating. of things sounding so like a theremin. cat's mating. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It could all go together. <laughs> Why can't we replace it with something positive sounding? Uh, how about the mandolin? But they already there. have that. We yeah. can replace it with a cello. I like the cello. I'm voting for bagpipes because that's also an obnoxious sound. That is, yeah. It's, a, it's a big sound. We're still have like you ever been cats. in a room where they were playing bagpipes? No. How is it? Is it awful? Oh my gosh. I was at a wedding and they had the bagpiper bring in the bride and then run back to the back and bring everybody else in and... It was so loud. Mm-hmm. Really? It was painful. And I was in a decent-sized church, and it was really painful. They're meant for battlefields. You're supposed They're to loud. be able to hear it over the slashing of the swords and really? stuff. Yeah. Do you not remember the episode of Friends where Ross was playing the bagpipes? <laughs> That's one of the best ones. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, I totally don't remember that. He tries to play the song Celebrate on the bagpipes. <laughs> now I'm going to have to go find that episode really specifically good. so that I can watch we'll it. We'll watch a clip when we're done recording. It's really it's, good. I'm sure you could find it on YouTube or something. Do so you know what the Australian troops called, uh, I think you're thinking World War II, the Scottish troops in their kilts? What? The ladies from hell. <laughs> that should be our nickname. <laughs> Somebody in this group needs to learn how to play the bagpipes <laughs> so that we can be the ladies from hell. We need to be the ladies. It from might hell. have to be you because we live in apartments and yeah. I don't think they're going to like it. <laughs> can you imagine that racket my dog would make? Imagine the racket that all the dogs that live around me would start making. Yeah, yeah. My including dog Alyssa's farm dog. animals. Oh my god, my dog would scream. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if we can work that into the plot of our new story that we've got going here. The bagpipes. Yeah. Yeah, because sure you could. You could probably play two sets if you had eight arms. Yeah. Well, I think you'd, you'd need need more have lungs. two mouths. Yeah. You'd need more lungs. I'm I think thinking it takes, takes a lot, a lot of lung true. power to play the bagpipes. Dude, if you had the technology to make that outfit, you could get an extra lung. An artificial lung? Yeah. <laughs> Just a third. <laughs> sure. Strap on your iron lung and your AJ. <laughs> Play some and just for pipes. fun, maybe an extra breast right in the middle. Because <laughs> everything's better with another breast. Yeah, sure. Why not? That's efficient. Things are always better in threes. <laughs> and then and then you strap on the eye in the middle of your forehead. Come on now. You're... You've lost us. <laughs> Would be extra vision. But it's still in the middle of your forehead. Like, you're still looking at the same things. But it could be just, x-ray eye. Just remember, Ooh, if you had an x-ray. eye in the middle of your forehead, you wouldn't be able to have bangs. That's true. You wouldn't be able to have one in the middle of your forehead. You're right, because I have to have bangs to hide the crease in my forehead. Well, the yes. eye would hide everything. That's true. Because if there was an eye in the middle of my forehead, I would not have a crease there. <laughs> Are you sure? You'd have to put the eye off a low. 
like between your eyebrows, and that would be weird. Maybe you could just do the, the eye, eyelashes. the third eye. We need a graphic artist to create this for us so that we can see it. You need to get that fancy eyeliner pattern going for your third eye to cover the line. A magnetic eyeliner as well. Cover your 11 in the middle. She said I have an 11. Actually, I think you just have a one. You just I just have, have one. a one. I heard. I can't remember where I heard that. I was like, it's just a one right like down that. the middle. It brings out your 11. That was my mom's angry look. That's why I cover it up, because she looked angry all the fucking time. And when she was mad, she was really mad, because that crease was in there. It's like you saw the crease, and you ran the other direction. No crease. So your crease is genetic, is what you're saying? It's a genetic crease, and I'm very sad about that. And I'm too cheap for Botox. <laughs> That'll solve that real quick. Yeah, well. You know. Botox is getting way cheaper now. It's Yeah. It's yeah, but it's the bad thing newness. about Botox is you got to do it all the time. You can't just do it just the one time. Well, theoretically, wouldn't you want to get rid of your crease forever? Yeah. So you would want to keep doing it? No, I want something that you can put in there one time and you're done. You just put a metal plate in your forehead. So then you're being no, ninety. Because then every time That'll somebody uses the microwave, right I tiss my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, Eddie on Christmas vacation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we are digressing. I think we should maybe start, start to transition. This is... I have no transition from Christmas vacation to my book. <laughs> Dang it! There's no break. Well, I was really long open for, for a connection there. <clears throat> So the book I'm going to review this week is called The German Girl by Armando Lucas Coria. As you can probably guess from the title, it's a historical fiction. No. Is it about World War II? Yes. <gasps> no. <laughs> can you believe it? You're going out on a limb. I know, right? So um, this book is <clears throat> about uh, a German girl and her family that are fleeing Nazi-occupied Germany. So it's... It's really early in the war when there's, you know, they still could get out and everything. And basically what happens is they are kind of rich. They're more, you know, upper class when the war starts and slowly, you know, the Nazis like take away like a lot of their, their money and their fortunes and they, you know, take away a lot of their possessions and one of the things that the Nazis did to the Jewish is they made it so that it was illegal for them to work in whatever job that they were working where they earned their money. So then, of course, then they obviously are going to be poorer because they can't earn money. They've got no income. Right. Yeah. On whatever they're used to doing for a living. So this family finds a way out and they take it. And they um, get their passports and their exit visas so that they can leave the country along with another family that they're extremely close with. Now, this family didn't start out as upper class as what the first family was, but the richer family was helping the poorer family so that they could get out and they paid for all their exit visas and everything else. Because, of course, like anything in the world, if you have money, you have a better chance of getting what you need. So... They all leave these two families and they get on a boat and they're supposed to be going to America. 
And what happened while they were on their journey over is when they got outside of Cuba, Cuba had made a rule that they were not taking any refugees. So they were stuck on this boat and they weren't allowed to enter Cuba. And then Cuba decided that they would take only a few passengers off of the boat and then the rest had to go back to Germany and go to concentration camps. And they, they were let, close to the U.S. Why did they just keep going? The U.S. wasn't taking we weren't refugees taking Because either. they weren't taking oh. refugees. Yeah. See, from the time that they left Germany and everybody was taking refugees, the outpour of refugees from Europe at that time was so great that they were flooding into America and Cuba and Mexico, and they cut off where they weren't accepting anymore. So then you have these boats filled with refugees outside in international waters, and they Mm. can't go anywhere. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I know, right? They don't know what to, you know, they're just sitting on this boat, and then they decide they're going to let just some of the refugees come on board to Cuba. And, of course, it's just women and children. So the, um, the mom and the little girl, the German girl, is is two of the very few, I can't remember exactly how many, but I'm talking like maybe 100 out of 5,000 passengers were allowed to enter Cuba. And they allowed them to enter Cuba, and they sent everybody back, and everybody went straight to a concentration camp. It was sad, and it's told from the little girl's point of view. And then she ends up, you know, growing up in Cuba. I don't know. I say it's told from the little girl's point of view, but it's told from from like two points in time. Like one of them is a little girl who has a connection to this German family and she finds journals and she starts finding out about her roots of why she's connected with this Germany family that was in Cuba. She has some tragedy in her own living in New York, connected with 9-11. So she's coping with her own tragedy and then she researches and finds out about the tragedy in her family that had happened before. It's not a happy story. It does not sound like it. But it's not the saddest of the German stories that I've heard. And the way that the name comes up is, I guess, like back then at the beginning of the war, they had a Nazi magazine that came out every month. And they would take a picture of like the idealistic German girl and put it on the cover And because this little Jewish girl is blonde-haired and blue-eyed, they took her picture and put it on the front without knowing that she was Jewish. So then she was, like, on this Nazi magazine when she's Jewish. And, I mean, her friends kind of picked on her because of that. and Mm. Not badly, but that's where it comes from, is they called her the German girl because she was on this magazine. Yeah, it, it was pretty interesting and just... The flight of the refugees that were trying to get into the country to get away from the, the persecution in Europe that was happening. I mean, it's it's kind of sad. I mean, the mom really sacrificed a lot to try to give them a good life. But in a way, she didn't try to make it a happy life for the little girl. She could have tried a little harder, I think. But, I mean, given the circumstances, I mean... Your whole family's gone. Your husband went back to a concentration camp. You can't, you haven't gotten letters from him. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Thanks for bringing the room down, Bonnie. Sheesh. 
quick, somebody say something about eight-legged bullfighters. <laughs> <laughs> it's a historical fiction from World War II. There's not very happy, many happy ones and from that time period. But it was good. It was a good read. It was interesting. And I enjoyed it. I liked it. And like I said, it's not one of the super sad. I mean, I've read ones that just... I disagree. I hard disagree. <clears throat> it's sad, <laughs> yes. But I have had ones that it just feels like it rips your heart out and throws it on the ground, stomps on it, and then puts it in a bowl of salt. And then I, reconstitutes it and goes all over So this again. one is all that minus yes. the salt. So this was like, <laughs> yeah, just ripped it out and stepped no on salt. it a little bit. So... And that was called The German Girl by Armando Lucas Coria. I think for our historical fiction crowd, I mean, it's a good read. Come on, Alyssa. So we're going to do a hard 180. We're counting on you. We're counting on you to bring the room back up. (laughs) Still historical fiction, but a historical fiction romance novel. Yay. Oh. There was romance in this because the the little girl from one family and the little boy from the other family... Like, the little boy, like, wanted to marry her and, like, gave her, like, a ring and everything. And then got sent to the concert. Jesus Dude. Christ, Bonnie! <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Romance? You were saying? <laughs> My book is cheerful, goddammit! <laughs> I read The Wallflower Rager by Tessa Dare, and this was sent to us by Avon. It came out just last week. So this is a brand new hot-off-the-press read. So this is the third in Tessa Dare's Girl Meets Duke series. And this one so far is my favorite, partially because um, one of the side characters is a parrot and it keeps asking people if they want to fuck (laughs) (laughs) because it used to live in a brothel. (laughs) Did they say that word back in the olden days? Absolutely they did. They that's, said just as bad things then as we do now. That's an interesting historical tip. <laughs> that's a very old word. <laughs> yeah. I think they were even more vulgar back in oh, yeah. those days oh, from yeah. stuff that I've read because... We've really you, cut uh, down on it. I could yeah. really fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, book centers around Penelope Campion, who is... She actually lives on her own, which is pretty rare for this time in this big house in London. And she saves animals she's got a cow she's got this vulgar parrot she has kittens she has a dog she has a goat um like her heart is really just in saving animals and keeping them safe and then sometimes she rehomes them sometimes she keeps them for herself she's kind of like Vonnie's son (laughs) yeah right she loves animals and so um moving in next door to her is a man named gabriel and what he's doing is what in modern times we would call he's flipping a house (laughs) he's bought this off of an aristocratic family that has fallen into ruin and so he's bought this house off them for really cheap and he's going to fix it back up and sell it to the highest bidder basically Hmm. and so they meet because Penelope's vulgar parrot has escaped her house. Is this so much more fun than Bonnie's book? <laughs> Love it. The vulgar parrot has escaped her house. It got out the window and has flown into his house. And it's the middle of the night, which is a scandalous time of night um, when, you're, when your parrot says, what a fun? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so she goes into the house and saves and saves this part because she doesn't think anyone lives there yet. Like she knows that someone has bought it, but she's not aware that he's living there now. And so uh, he catches her because she's in his house in the middle of the night and he's got to ferry her back. And if you haven't guessed already, he's the romantic lead in this story. Yeah. Right? I mean, the parrot started it. <laughs> he put the ideas in his head. It. Um, but so she's getting a lot of pressure from her family to kind of either re-enter polite society and start going to parties and balls and maybe take seriously getting married again or come back and live in the country, which sounds like the worst thing ever to her because she's going to have to give up all her animals and she's going to have to leave all her friends and go live in the country, which sounds... With her parents. With her parents, which sounds super dreadful and boring. Yeah, I think I'd rather keep the animals, mm-hmm. even it, with the vulgar parrot. I mean, it's the real hero of the story. It's <laughs> <laughs> the vulgar parrot. Um, but so another one of her family's stipulations is um, in order to reenter society, she's really got to get rid of all these animals. But Gabriel needs her to live next door because up-and-coming people really want to live next to the aristocracy. They want to live next to titled people. And so he thinks if she continues to live next door, he's going to be able to get an even higher bidder because it's going to make his house worth much more. And so he agrees to help her get rid of the animals and reenter society. Oh, she has an otter. I forgot about that. Aww. So she's basically the otter woman? Basically. <laughs> the Except there is no other woman. woman. <laughs> I appreciate your pun, though. <laughs> Man, that one, I pulled that right out of my ass. You did. You too. did such a good job. And it's hard <laughs> to pull an otter out of your ass. <laughs> yeah, they do tend to be a little bit bitey. <laughs> Well, I was thinking about the class. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess there's that, too. <laughs> so naturally, a lot of hijinks ensue. This was a really fun, like, silly story. Um, like I said, the opposite of what Vonnie <laughs> reviewed this week. I read it in, like, two days. Um, another fun tidbit is so the lead... The heroine, uh, Penel- her name is Penelope Campion. She's named after a character in a movie that I really like. So that was fun. Um, but this was a really fun, sweet story. It took no time at all to read. And I can't wait for the next in the series because Tessa Dare is, uh, she always writes something a little bit different and a little bit off. You know, like a vulgar parrot or like people, just like people who are different, you know. And it's fun to read about people that are different from you. So that was The Wallflower Wager by Tessa Dare. Yay. Awesome. It sounds so fun. It, it does is sound fun. fun. You might have made it through this one just because of the parrot alone, Martha. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. She'd though. have more chance making it through your book than my book. That's for <laughs> That's sure. That's true. true. <laughs> my at least wouldn't make her sad. <clears throat> Both are fairly unlikely, but... Yours is definitely more. Suited. All right, so Mariana, of course, you're on the program not only because you're an awesome <laughs> book girl, but because you wrote several books. What is it, 12 now? 12 in the series, yes. 12 in the series. Um, so I'm going to review your book. Oh, boy. But what we do on the program is when we do have an author visit, we like to hear what they're reading. Okay. It, it gives a deeper insight, I think. Into the author when we can discover 
what sorts of things you're interested in reading and things inspire you. Okay. Well, I actually, I, if I must pick one, I'll pick one. But I, I had four to talk about. Oh. All by the same author. Okay. Because the my new book is out this week and I write about an archaeologist. And so CrimeReads.com asked me to write an essay about archaeological mysteries. Oh. And so I went back and reread two of Agatha Christie's archaeological Ooh. mysteries because, you know, she lived the life because her husband was a famous archaeologist and for, I don't know, 20 years or so, she went with him every digging season and wrote her books out there and cleaned the artifacts with her uh, facial cream. And oh just, my well, she was just so tough. You know, you know, it's just like uh, they, when he first met her, they had car trouble out in the middle of the desert and were waiting for hours for help. And she just went to sleep in the shadow of the, the car. And he's like, well, I could marry her. <laughs> and he did. And he did. And she was 15 years his senior. So she must have been really something, you know, to wow. attract his attention. So anyway, she had this. And also, well, here's a fifth book. If you're interested in that kind of stuff and in her, she wrote one of her autobiographies is just about her time in the Middle East. It's called Come Tell Me How You Live. Oh. And it's really fascinating. And if you read that and read uh, the the novel uh, Murder in Mesopotamia, which is the first of my recommendations, you can see how it was based on her life there and the politics amongst the crew and how they get on each other's nerves and the whole nine yards. So it's very realistic because she lived it. So Murder in Mesopotamia is a lot of fun if you uh, have not read all of Agatha Christie. Uh, so while I was on a archaeological kick, since they wanted me to write this article, I read one of hers that I'd never read before called uh, Appointment with Death. And it is set at the ruins of Petra, you know, the the, Ooh, the site Petra of the third Indiana so Jones movie cool. yes. <laughs> where the Holy Grail is and everything. Well, she's got a, a tourist group going in the 1940s, I think, don't quote me, but, you know, quite some time ago to Petra, uh, and one of them turns up dead, and she's a horrible person, and, you know, you nobody's sad to see her go, but Poirot still has to see justice done, so oh, of course that one's a lot of fun, and I, I love the the ruins as a setting for it, so those are the fun ones to, to counteract the death by Nazis theme we have going here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but then, and, and a lot of people have read those, but what I wanted to highlight, like I said, if I have to pick one, um, a lot of people don't know that Agatha Christie wrote six books under another name. What? Really? So while she was writing, you know, dozens of novels and dozens of short stories and going to the Middle East every summer, I mean, the woman must have never slept. She wrote stories, I think, that she wanted to write, and she wrote them under an assumed name, which was kept uh, secret for, I don't know, 20 years. Her name was Mary Westmacott. Her middle name was Mary. Uh, and she wrote these, what, what, what you'd either call them mainstream or literary, depending on how you define things, novels. And she was really devastated when she got outed and never wrote anymore. So it was important oh. to her that people knew it, didn't know it was her that was writing these books. So um, the the one that I was particularly interested in is called Absent in the Spring. And it also draws from her history in the Middle East because the character is this um, upper middle class British woman, you know, with the servants and the very comfortable life and the husband that works at a bank and grown children. She's in her late 40s. She's, her children are grown. Some of them are having children. 
and one of her daughters has had a, a health issue, and she and she's living in Iraq. So the woman has been to see the daughter, taking the train down. It's very hard to get there back then. And the book opens as she's leaving to go home, and there and you know the transportation was not reliable in those days in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And she gets to the train, deserted train station, nobody there but a few Iraqis that are keeping it open. And the train is delayed by days and it stretches out. And so the book is really totally in her head as she, because she's got one book. I mean, she's got nothing to do but think about her life. And it just totally, and so this is a little more devastating than her usual book, just day by day, she dismantles herself. She'll go for a walk in the desert and 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 the beautiful thing is Christy's so good at clues and information management is all the seeds of her disaster is buried in this description of her happy life. But she's forced to look at her relationships that she thought were so good and her life that she thought was so good. And she's literally laying on the desert wishing for the end before the train finally comes. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, it made me think of... Um, Mrs. Dalloway, if anybody reads Virginia mm-hmm. Woolf, <laughs> it doesn't have the beautiful, you know, stream of consciousness prose, you know, nobody's Virginia Woolf, but the topic of a woman in midlife looking at her life and trying to decide what next is definitely there. Whoa. So absent mm-hmm. in the spring. It was written in the 1940s. And what was the author again? Mary Westmacott, uh, which was... It, the, the cover of my copy says Agatha Christie writing as Mary Westmacott. Ah, so you can probably find them uh, if you if you're in the library. You can probably look up Agatha Christie, and they'll probably come up, but I'm not sure. So Mary Westmacott will get you there. Um, and I got I have a omnibus of three of them in one uh, volume. I've read one of the others called Giant Spread, which was totally different, and it's about the destruction that artistic genius wreaks upon somebody's life. So totally not Marple or Poirot. Huh. That's yeah. really cool. I thought, And I admire, you know, because she was printing money by that time. She didn't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or she could have written another Poirot and printed some more money. So this is clearly from her heart. Or she could have written it under her own name. I don't know, get given another facet to her readers. But right. that was a that was a bit of a crapshoot, I suppose, yeah. back then. And who knows? I don't know. That, I have actually been to the archives where a lot of her business correspondence is, and I haven't looked for this yet. I will. Her uh, publishers may not have wanted her to do that. They oh. might not have wanted to dilute her brand in today's uh, parlance, or, or else it came from her, and she just didn't. She wanted to succeed on the merits of the writing and not on the name. Yeah. Could have been any of that. Um, who was Cuckoo's Calling? Uh, yes, Jake it's very much yes. like Cuckoo's Calling. Yeah. Is the yeah. mm-hmm. like I mean, for if you read it and you don't J.K. Rowling, yeah, and you don't know that it's J.K. Rowling, then you enjoy the writing all by itself, not it, expecting it to be like the rest of her book because it exactly. isn't. It's yeah. nothing right. like that. It's nothing like them, and yeah. it's great on its own. And that's actually a fairly common practice for writers. Yes. If they mm-hmm. want to write something that's so different from their own, the voice that people have uh, come to expect from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. With yeah. um, J.D. Robb is, mm-hmm. who is that? Um, Nora, Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's writing something. Then she, then she did a one book that was jointly Nora Roberts and J.D. Robb, which was a little exercise in schizophrenia. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
She gets to be herself and herself. That's right. (laughs) That's a bit like playing twins in a soap opera. Yes. (laughs) I wonder if she won any awards for that. Probably not. Perhaps she should have. (laughs) All right. So it's my turn and I sort of get the spotlight. I love this. Martha loves a spotlight. I did. Surprise. Um, I I feel, every time I read one of your books, I feel so pleased because you live here. It's like (laughs) discovering that that I loved your your writing style so much. And then to discover that you live here is like, I, I don't know. I can't even really equate that to anything. I still feel so pleased about it because you're actually on the program. So. Welcome. Again. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, number 12 of the Fay Longchamp Mysteries is called Catacombs, and it came out, what, a couple of days ago? Uh, Tuesday. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I got an early copy. Lucky you. Aren't you special? I know. I have to say that this so far is my favorite. Oh, cool. The first one that I read did have an Oklahoma connection, Burials. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when I discovered that, I went back and read all your other books. And I have a, a very strong fondness for archaeology. Faye is an archaeologist, and she also has a husband that is Native American. So in Oklahoma, when you have those, when you have the, uh, the Native American angle, then you have so much more when you're talking about a good story, which is what makes me think this book would make a fantastic movie set in Oklahoma. I think I'm going to go to a a Native American conference next month and try to force it into Wes Studi's hands because he could play the role, the lead role so well. Yes. Anybody knows him, uh, call me. This is, (laughs) I think that all of Oklahoma needs to get behind this novel because it has so many different facets that connect it to the culture here. For starters, the book begins with a bomb. So... The Oklahoma City bombing um, immediately came to mind when the beginning of this uh, novel hit me. It's like the shockwave, you know. Um, it takes place in uh, an older hotel, I think in downtown Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So, and there there are several very famous downtown hotels. Like you, the Skirvin? Somewhat like, yes. yes. <laughs> I don't want to say I blew up the Skirvin, so something like the Skirvin. Yeah, right. Yes. Well, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, Inspiration. Yes. So during a conference that Faye is attending, and her husband is going to be doing a demonstration of flint napping at the conference. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So she is standing in the lobby of this hotel when the bomb goes off. So she's injured, but not fatally. And she actually sees the guy who blew it up. But what really brings you into the story is when you see kind of into the hole and you discover that there's stuff underneath the hotel. There are catacombs underneath the hotel. And once again, what brings that into the forefront is those catacombs actually existed. What? Exactly. In Oklahoma? I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. In Oklahoma they did? Yes. And Chinese immigrants actually built them and lived under the city. 
So it's like, to me, it would make the perfect Oklahoma movie because you've got Native American characters, you've got Oklahoma history, and it starts with a bomb. Hmm. But on top of all that, it was an excellent story, and there's a murder mystery involved. Um, When they get down underneath into these rooms, they begin to discover some irregularities. Um, For example, they find this room that has been painted with murals, and they don't know. The reason they involve Faye in the... uh, the whole thing is they want to know how old this room is. If it's part of the original structure and the original culture, or if it's something newer and Faye is taken down into the catacombs to look at this room. And when she gets down there, she finds, well, she doesn't find, but they have discovered bodies in the room. I know it got really quiet in here, didn't it? I love catacombs. I know. (laughs) I am just gobsmacked at how good this book was. I really, really loved it because it just, you you guys know how much I love a good mystery. And the whole connection to Oklahoma was just so strong in this book. We've got to have this movie, Mariana. I'm working on it. Seriously. I'm going to have to accost a movie store and put it in his hands, but you know I'm up for that. Oh, oh, and so, I forgot but, to mention, yeah. one of the main characters is a Native American movie star who's made it big in Hollywood and who comes back and just happens to be her brother-in-law's cousin. Oh, cool. Awesome. So there's another connection. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, it, it was fantastic. Um, it was the kind of mystery that just really just grabbed me from the beginning because it had such a powerful beginning. And then the mystery of the catacombs. And honestly, I'm one of those people that if if I think I figured it out of who the connection is to all this, I would have been pissed if I got to the ending and it was the person I thought it was and it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, it's going to be her. I just know it. And I'm going to be so mad. And then it's... (laughs) I do that all the time when I read mysteries is I, I try to solve the mystery. Martha I, wants to win and also doesn't want to win when she reads right. mysteries. Well, the, and, you know, and the thing that's so interesting is writing. I was trying to obscure that because I'm writing one right now, nearly through with the next one. And it's obvious to me. So I got to go back and cover my tracks. But in this one, you know, there's some scenes written from the point of view of the killer as, as you've read it. Right. And they were originally in the third person. Well, that reveals the gender. (gasps) So I went back and put them in the first person so you couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman to keep more suspects alive. Right. I forgot to mention that, that you get the inside mind of the killer. I like it when it's written from the killer's mind. Well, you get two different, you you get almost like two different kinds of chapter. Hmm. You get this little mini chapter of the mind of the killer. I just like that. The twisted, demented mind of whatever the bad person what is. is wrong with you? Well, it's interesting that you say that because with like my it. first book, I had some scenes from the mind of the killer in the first chapter um, during the killings, and um, I didn't know my publisher at all. You know, they took me over the transom, and I got a letter back saying we're going to edit this hard. You know, 
And one thing we're going to do is we're going to take all, all the scenes from the point of view of the killer because Barbara doesn't like being in the head of the killer. The killer. She's my editor. And that was just, and really? I, I don't think it works without those scenes. And so there was an, inter, that's the editor-in-chief, there was an intermediate editor working with me, and she helped me tone them down, make them smaller, and just leave what was necessary. And then it went to Barbara, and she just yanked them out. <gasps> They're gone. And I looked at it, and you, actually, you, it did work. You could, you could follow the story. Um, but one person wrote, e- emailed me and had a question about what happened, and sh- that person was right. Minus those scenes, there was one thread that didn't get tied up. There's mm-hmm. only been the one complaint. But so anyway, that was 15 years ago. And um, when I, well, actually, the last book also, Undercurrents, had some scenes from the point of view of the killer. Which was an excellent book, too, by the way. Oh, well, thank yes, you. Yes, I liked that one, too. And that one, I made them third person because it was a serial killer. And they're almost always men. So mm-hmm. there wasn't yeah. give anything away to have the that in the third person but but anyway when i and said he was really creepy too by the way people have said "Ooh, that one was dark but yeah. Yeah, i like I it like because it, dark, it makes though. it dark yeah like, yeah I, when i'm reading a mystery borrow, by the way oh, okay when i'm reading a mystery that and this is one of the things i think that kind of turns me off with some mysteries that i read is they there's like too light they're oh, like too because like somebody died I, I want it you know be, it shouldn't be yeah, like i want yeah. it to be dark i want it to be mysterious dark and mysterious and just engage your brain and when you tell like little spots from the killer's mind mm-hmm. or the you know whatever they did not like too graphic or anything it just gives it that edge that's that the thing because i don't like graphic but i do like darkness and <clears throat> there's a difference that i don't think people always get right and um and so when that that one came out with the, the serial killer one, it took me 11 books to write a serial killer book because it's hard to make them interesting because the, what's the secret? He's crazy. Yeah, exactly. That's not a story. He's crazy. And yeah. so I had to figure out a way to make it a story, and I was happy with that. But before I sent it to her, I said, you need to know that I'm in the head of the killer, and I need to be. And she's, she knows me now, and she says, that's fine. I, you know. And yeah. so she let me do that for these last two books. But, but, but I had to earn my stripes before she let me <laughs> <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad she left that in because yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It's fun to write those. They just flow. They're not hard at all. That's probably scary. That gives you something that people who like books about murder. Well, you just need that intensity. Well, the reason that you read stuff like that, speaking for myself, I like to read about things that scare me so I'm less scared. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So... Or at least when it comes to horror, anyway, I will read things that scare me so so that it dampens that. Yeah. And and a lot of crime novels and stuff like that, it's almost like you're able to see what those people are like and it doesn't scare you as much because you feel more prepared. It's probably not accurate. <laughs> but like while we ride roller coasters. Yeah. I mean, you can see in the mind of a killer it helps you to see the brokenness of those people mm-hmm. and to maybe think you'll be able to spot it when you see it. Hopefully. Alyssa's giving me dirty looks over you here. You won't be able to spot <laughs> no. There's a book called The Sociopath Next Door, which is supposed to help you either mm-hmm. spot it or get away when it, when it, when it emerges. Like, what do you do when a dog looks like it's going to bite you? You run away. Mm. But then the dog chases you. Well, 
I'd better rather get bit in the you ass walk, than in the throat. You walk away slowly <laughs> where you're not threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You back away. Well, you know, I teach writing, and when we talk, and I have a class where we talk a lot about why fiction works, why people read it, what people expect from it. Because the worst thing you want to do is spend a year of your life writing a book and have people not satisfied by the way it ends. Right, know? right. And so I think horror is exactly what you say. People read it to be scared and to try it on for size, knowing that they're safe. I think read people, and there may be an aspect of that to uh, mysteries, but I, I think people read mysteries because they want a sense of justice. Oh. I call it the literature of justice. And so, you know, you can't fix it. The person is still dead. And that's the reason I, I like you object to mysteries that are too light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also spend time exploring the feelings of the people left behind because I think that that's important. But at the end, there needs to feel like the world has been set askew and now it's right again. Even though that person is dead, some they've gotten justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, you read a book where that doesn't happen, and uh, and it works. But you have to; you, it's a risk, and the writer needs to know they're taking it. Yeah. If justice is not done, now legal and just is not the same thing. Right. Right. So they right. may escape criminal justice, but still pay a price. And sometimes that price isn't clear. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes their price isn't what your price would be. Exactly. Yeah. It's like magic and fantasy always has to have a price. Very true. Or there's no story. Yes. Magic and fantasy. <gasps> I had to go right to the magic and fantasy after I finished your book. <laughs> I had to go for comfort. <laughs> no, but seriously, anybody who loves a good mystery needs to read this book. Anybody that lives in Oklahoma City needs to read this book because it has so we have so many connections to it. And people who live here are proud of this city. The Oklahoma City skyline is on the cover. Is it yes, really? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's got uh, a picture of below as well. Above and below. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I meant to bring copies and I didn't. I need that, I need that poster on my wall. Ooh. You need to find it and put it as your like screensaver. Yes, I do. That's cool. <laughs> All right. So the name of the book is Catacombs. And, of course, the author is Mariana Evans. So I hope you pick up a copy of that. Now, are, do you have some, uh, you've got some local events. Well, uh, I'll be at the Oklahoma Book Festival, which I believe is October I was going to ask you that yeah, if you were going to be there. You were there last year. And that's where I heard you talk you about the plot of this book for the first time. Yeah. And I was so excited <laughs> and so intrigued. I, just the whole idea of there being a hidden city. Underneath, especially because this city is really not that old. No, I mean the, the underground city is as old as the city, really. And, yeah, and we and the thing about it is, it, 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 we can't access it right now. It's not accessible. But we have pictures from 1969 when they accidentally accessed it when they were building the convention center, and we have a health department inspection from 1921 where the health department went down there thinking they were going to find this festering mess and come back and say, it's a sanitary as all get out down there. <laughs> so we have government documents and photographs to show that it really, really what is there. It's just we covered up right now. We Can are getting say, a new convention center. So if they take down the current convention center, will we be able to access them? That's that's my hope. Because <laughs> also, what are they going to do with the old convention center? And can I just They're gonna say tear it really down. quick, I really love an author that does their research and puts real 
facts in their book instead of just crap that they make up off the top of their head because um i google that shit she does and Vonnie i know whether or not very seriously well, i always put author's notes in the bat with some links like so i've yeah. got links to the articles about the um, but that's what i like i wanted to be i wanted to have like some random facts in there that are true and not just something that's made up i know some of it has to be made up it's fiction i know right. it's not real yeah. but i still want I don't know. It just makes it more realistic. Well, that's we one go. of the reasons I loved it so much is mm-hmm. that, you know, this is this is a real thing. She totally had me when she was doing her talk at the Oklahoma Book Festival because she that's where she did the hook. You know, she was yeah. talking about, <laughs> yeah, the catacombs come out right here when where the Oklahoma River. Yeah. Yeah. They th- mm-hmm. they, and of course, we don't know. People exactly said that they where. went on for a mile, yeah. which is hard to believe, but, you know, maybe. Um, and they said that they went all the way to the river. And then I was talking to some city engineers um, about how I might access it in the book, plausibly. And I, I said, they said it went all the way to the river. He said, well, you don't know where the river was then. It's been uh-huh. moved and re- been moved. rechanneled. And uh, so right. I thought, isn't that interesting? And, uh, well, here's one story before I move on to my... Um, Appearances, the really fascinating stories. I, I went to the um, city engineers, talked to them about how could we get in there and what about the storm sewers? Because my training is engineering and my head just went straight to people go up in storm sewers all the time. And they said, oh, yeah, you could probably do that. And they'll, they'll be really old in that part. They'll be brick and they'll be shaped. So I described them uh, what the old ones would look like. And yeah, you could walk through them and got the whole thing. And um, then, uh, and I sent them some books as a thank you, and they're thanked in the book and all. Uh, but I got home, and a couple of weeks later, I got a call from work, and the secretary said, um, you're not in trouble. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But there's a policeman that wants to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I called him, and he answered. He says, you're not in trouble, <laughs> which I really was grateful that they weren't said that. But anyway, he said, um, I was just talking to the, the, the engineers called me and wanted to tell me what you were asking. And I just want to make sure you're not telling people how to set off a bomb underneath Oklahoma City. Like, you're not drawing them a roadmap, are you? And I said, no, 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 you can't. <laughs> no, I said, there's not, you know, there's a bomb in there. And I tell you, like, what the ingredients are and not how to put it together. And the Internet will tell you well, way yeah. more than yeah. I'm telling you in the book. And I haven't been under there, so I don't know how one might do it. I, I made that part up. Well, so I, said, That's I also fun. liked that when you, you were talking about it, you had said right in the text that the original idea was to set it off way underneath and it wouldn't have impacted anything except for underground. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, and the only reason it did any damage was because the guy turned around and turned came around back and came back up. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I try, you know, because I don't want to draw a roadmap for anybody. Now, nobody's ever. So anyway, I'm I'm really kind of proud that I have attracted the attention of law enforcement after having done this for 16 years. <laughs> You're not in trouble. <laughs> then you know it's really realistic if the police are calling you. <laughs> so when I had the, I did some research with how the FBI would behave. So I have an FBI contact in D.C. that I just sent her a copy of the book as a thank you. And well, and I love at the ending you said, okay. Don't go looking. Yeah. Don't, don't go being an urban explorer. 
Yeah, because yeah, you could die. Y- it's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't try this at home, damn it. <laughs> I had an interviewer ask me if I would go down there, and I said, well, you know, there are urban explorers looking for it all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I would go down there if I thought it was safe, but would I go down there with a 15-year-old wearing a headlamp? No, I would not. No. You know, no. No. So, okay, so here's the um, my next appearance. Is it Best of Books in Edmond? On September 7th at 1 p.m. Yay! And I don't have my time yet um, for the Oklahoma Book Festival, but you want to come for the whole day anyway, and it's on September the 21st. And yeah. we'll be I there. I think we're going. Our, I, of course, yes, yes we'll be there. Going. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're yeah. going to go. Um, we had a good time last year. We did. We wore our three book girl shirts, which we will do again. So I didn't go last year. Why did I not go last year? Because you're lame. You were <laughs> gone. You were out of town. Was I out of town? Yeah. Okay. Those think, shirts no, are effective because I saw I went, it before. I, I saw went to you. Kansas because my sister. Right. If you see us wearing, if you see people wearing Three Book Girls t-shirts, that's us. We're always together because we don't like strangers. <laughs> so there's just going to be a pack of us with Three Book Girl shirts please on. Come, please come up to us and say Yeah, please hello, come though. up to us. We're just scared. Because we won't go up to you. Yeah, we won't go up to you. That's why we're together. <laughs> and we can't afford a booth. So. <laughs> we're going to be doing our own thing in the audience. So, well, that was cool. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. We love having you come on the program. It's always fun. To be able to share your reading tastes as well. Because we all, people are always saying... To authors, where do you get your ideas? Which I think is the lamest freaking question you can ask an author. But you can get an insight into an author by asking asking what they read. So that's why we do it the way we do it. Good idea. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the book festival. Come see me. And um, buy the book. reading. Or buy the book is good, too. <laughs> <laughs> buy Catacombs by Marianna Evans. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this thing up, girls. Yeah, I think we... You're an some... engineer, Mary. I am an engineer. Do you engineer. think maybe yes. you could uh, get to work on the exoskeleton for us? Sure, but you know, my son is a mechanical engineer, so I... That's I, the kind of engineer you want I could be the brains of the partnership. No, actually, he's the brains of the partnership, too. But yeah, I could be the, I could be the big picture person, and he could build it. Okay, because we're going to ask you about that when you come back. Okay. All right. How many <laughs> legs do you want? Is eight enough? Um, I feel like anymore you start good. to get yeah. real cluttered. And yeah. a tail, too, yeah. or just eight legs? Well, I mean, uh, no, if you it could be, you don't need a tail. How about eight okay. appendages? Eight appendages. Oh, I mean, <laughs> you're, oh, you're leaving me room for scope for creativity. Yeah. Yes. Creativity. Yes. <laughs> you know, I might not know that I needed that appendage until you put it on there. <laughs> and on that note, that's going to do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Join the conversation on Facebook and follow them on Twitter and Instagram. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.